0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Well, Today, we're going to jump back into Summer in the Psalms. I think there's a, a title slide for it. Uh, like I said, we did this last summer, and um, this is something I really enjoy. I wish I came up with it myself. Um, I have some great pastor friends. They uh, are actually the the pastor and his wife that married Candy and I in Maryville, and uh, they do a series in the Psalms every summer, and they have multi-campuses. They don't dictate uh, which Psalm they do at each of their campuses, but they just spend a, a number of weeks. Some of the campuses spend three, some spend five um, we're going to spend a few. We did this last summer, and there's 150 Psalms. So if we just spend even a few weeks in them, we could be in the Psalms for a really long time. Um, but today, uh, we're going to be in Psalm 91, and it's one of my absolute favorites. Um, and one of, one of the things I really enjoy about the Psalms is that they are uh, unfettered. It's raw. It is very authentic. Um, there is a wide gamut of emotions, Um, So to speak, the veneer is removed, you know, and um, I think for us, you get the you get the Psalms in the riddled front with poetry, some of sorrow, some of laments, uh, others with desperation for God's presence. Please to even eradicate your enemies, right? You get you get all the gamut of psalms. Repentance, Psalm fifty-one. Uh, we did that one last year. Uh, Psalm twenty-three, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm twenty-seven, you know, one thing I ask. This is what I seek. You get you get a plethora of emotions and feelings from the psalmist as they're writing and, and and just authentically expressing, God, what is going on? Where are you? Take care of my enemy. Here's what I'm feeling, speaking to the soul, to hope in God. And, and what I really like is, is this is a value of ours here at the church, and that's being real and authentic. Um, you will never be able to grow beyond what you are willing to show. You will never be able to grow in the Lord Beyond what you're willing to disclose to him, because he won't come in and just take parts of your heart that you won't give him. He's a gentleman, Um, and we will never grow. And and one of the things that it's it's picked up a lot of steam in our culture. It's emotional intelligence. It's you know social and emotional. Well, it's health in in all areas of our life, and it's got a lot of buzz in, in in just the cultural context. But there's a spiritual application to it as well. We can't know God until we even know ourselves. And there are some things that he allows us to grow in as he, he begins to, uh, for me, uh, I know my dad and I, as we were talking about some of the things that started happening at the beginning of June, with just the race issues and all that, our verse came out of the Psalms. It was, Lord, search me and know my heart. I'm not going to assume that maybe I'm not the one that has some things that the Lord needs to deal with as well, because I, I'm, I'm human and I have been impacted by a culture and I have been impacted by things that aren't always of the Lord. And so we can allow the Psalms to say, God, here I am. Search me and know me and lead me and guide me in your truth. And he's faithful to do that. And that's what I love about the Psalms is that it's saying, take your mask off. Not those masks. (laughs) By all means, while masks are being required, the one place it's not is spiritually before him. There is a different mandate when it comes to approaching him. There may be a mandate by a governor to wear it in public places or by a mayor currently in 2020, but the mandate before heaven is remove your mask. Take down the barriers and approach me as you are. Allow him to do the transformation, not your spouse, not your mom, not your brother, not your culture. Don't even let culture dictate who the image of God is right now. But come before me in my presence and remove all those masks and lay them down. And this is where I think we see the power of what the Lord wants to say through the Psalms. And so I'm going to do a little bit of a build up before we get into this chapter because for me, Isaiah twenty nine, thirteen, if you'll throw that up, the Lord says through Isaiah, These people come near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I'm afraid this is a lot of the cultural Christianity that we find today in our own nation and that their worship of me, it's based on merely human rules that they have been taught. And it's amazing how much of Jesus' teaching is a warning for all of us today, that being religious isn't the answer. If there is anyone that he came against, probably more consistently than anyone else, it was those who think they had it all figured out. It was those who thought they were following God's law and his rules and were pleasing to him. And he's like, you do not get it. I am more interested in your heart because when I have your heart, I'll have everything else. And you're trying to make it appear like I have everything else, but I don't have your heart. He said, that's a charade, that's a show. And so Jesus says in Matthew seven twenty-one through 23, and this is a warning to all of us, that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does what? The will of my father who is in heaven. The will of my father who is in heaven. And it's amazing what Jesus said that they could do in his name. We've got people prophesying today. We got people driving out demons. We have, you can have all the miracles, all the miracles, but not know him. You can do all the stuff, you can, you can have it posted on your Facebook feed 24-7. And it's just the, the facade of, but you don't know him. And so the Lord is asking me, do you know me? Do you know me? Have you removed the veneer? In, in Luke 8, 17, it says this, for there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be made known or brought out into the open. And so I want to talk just briefly as we get into the Psalms about this idea of being transparent in, in the veneer that we oftentimes apply. How many of you have heard the word veneer used typically in a negative way, the way that I've just used it the last couple of sentences? I, I hear veneer used that way all the time, remove, the, you know, but initially, as a, as a, as a, if you were a woodworker, veneer was a great thing. Veneer was was something that allowed uh, the the flexibility in something that was a solid wood, including the veneer itself. A true veneer would be made of wood. It would not be what you what I have on my cabinets—a plastic laminate or even foil that looks like wood grain. Or it, I mean, how many different types of veneer have you seen that the edges begin to rub off, and you're like, "Oh, that's not a real veneer. That's not wood." But typically, the way a woodworker would do it is you would have a thin wood layer, about an eighth of an inch. And you would have this laid over something that was just as solid of a wood. It could be a solid wood piece. It could be something that was, um, it could be a piece of material that, that had the same co- composite um, makeup of true wood. And you could put this wood over it. And what it allowed is that in the winter and then in the summer, it had the flexibility to expand and to contract. And, and it's really interesting to me because we've given it a negative um, name, the word veneer. But Architectural Digest, as I was just reading in my nerd study this week about veneer, it says in woodworking, a veneer is actually a paper-thin cut of wood that is applied to both sides of a strong, coarse surface, like furniture-grade MDF or substrate material to seal and stabilize it, which is critically important when you're fashioning built-in furniture or anything with mechanisms. So, if I had it on my counter, if I had solid woods, and, and like then you get the winter and it's like, okay, they open great. But then the summer and they swell and you're like, ah, oh, it's scraping the top. Or, you know, I, I, if you have those issues, it's, it's possibly because it's a solid wood and not a veneer. And, and he goes on, he said, you know, a dining table, for instance, can be made from solid wood, but a wood piece with moving parts, it cannot be. In our lives, oftentimes, we, we take it and we think, oh, people have put a cheap makeup on top of something that isn't legitimate underneath. And so we call it a veneer. But the Lord is saying, allow me to do the true workmanship that I desire to do in your life. And a true craftsman will know that, no, your life is going to have ebbs and flows, and you're going to need the flexibility of trusting in the valley, of rejoicing on the mountaintop, of knowing that he is good and that he is God through all of it. And that is where the craftsman comes into place and says, hey, you're not just a solid piece, but you're made with mechanisms for the things that are happening around you. Even in a well air-conditioned home, it is not truly climate controlled. You are prone to the atmosphere that you live in to walk through a life that you don't control, but you can trust the one who does. And that's what he's saying today is, would you take off the mask? Would you allow me to be the one who is working in your life? As Ephesians would say, that he has created us. He has crafted us for good works from before the foundations of this world. That It was in him that he has designed us. And so we jump straight into this psalm, looking at what is this psalmist disclosing to us. And in Psalm 91, as many of the authors would give an occasion or who is writing it, this one doesn't. And so let's begin in verse one together. He says, I'm going to read all 11 verses. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Verse two, I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fouler snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings, you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A 1,000 may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. Verse 11, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. Let's finish the last two verses. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. So the psalm that is written here, Psalm 91, is closely connected to the psalms that surround it. Psalm 90 and Psalm 92. Psalm 90 is written uh, with similar language, with the idea of dwelling place and springing up in life and how God will make glad and and reminding us of God's deeds and what He has done, His faithfulness and the Most High, that same language of who He is, His name and, and what they attribute to Him. It's this common theme between these three Psalms here. In Psalm 90, it's, it's more of one asking for his blessing and his divine favor, while Psalm 91, this one that we're looking at today, is a prayer that is confirmed by the promise and the oracles of God. This is what his blessing, this is what his favor will look like. This is what, how it will manifest itself in your life. In Psalm 91, it doesn't originally include a a subscript title. I don't know if your Bible has one, if it gives it a name, and some say Psalm um, or praise, a Psalm of David. And that wasn't given later until the Septuagint was written, uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Originally, there was no attribution of who actually penned this Psalm. And so today, as we look at how it includes both wisdom for those who desire, desire to walk godly, and to walk in his blessings and his favor, but then also a divine oracle at the end, something that the words aren't so much from the psalmist to the Lord, but the final words are from God to us, which is a little bit unique for some of the psalms. And the wisdom psalm encourages the godly to continue to pursue that path of godliness and hold out for the promises of his protection and blessings. You can throw up quick a structure here of how you can kind of understand what the psalmist is doing here. Um, it, has, it has these different forms where the first couple of verses are an invitation to you and to me to walk in the protection of God. He who dwells, the one who abides will find shelter, will take shadow, I will save the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, the one whom, it's this invitation to come and find refuge, find shelter, find protection in God and God alone. And then those verses following are, here's what that protection will look like in your life. Here's how it will appear and show up and look day to day. And then finally, he goes to another invitation of the protection of God and then how that will look again. And then the words from God himself to us. And so I want us to begin in, in the first couple of verses as we just walk through this. Verse one, if you'll throw the first verse back up there, Kenneth. And we're just going to walk through this. Like many of the Proverbs, wisdom Psalms invite anyone seeking wisdom to journey through the blessings of godliness. And this one's no different. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. He says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In whom I trust. So immediately, the psalmist is beginning with such emotional language that create a sense of security, a sense of God is our home, that there is no other place for us to live, move, and have our being than in Him and Him alone. And when we find ourselves taking shelter, literally something that covers that affords protection, it means in the Hebrew. It literally is an establishment that provides food and shelter. When we take shelter, when we find our provision in Him... When we come to him and say, God, I am completely dependent upon you, not halfway, Lord, I think I've got enough in the bank account, not halfway, I think, you know what, I've, I take care of myself, my health should be okay. There, I'm not discounting that we have responsibility to take, but our dependence is completely on him and not our own ability to provide for ourselves. But Lord, as we are responsible, we know that you are the one that gives the, give us the ability to even be so that you are the source of all life, that if you were not even speaking to the atoms within my body, they would not hold together, that the whole universe is spinning right now in complete alignment, not out of control, not not being hit by the, the galaxies beyond us because of his spoken word and we are dependent upon him that all things would hold together. And so it's no different for our daily bread As it is for God, are these the end times? What is before us? That Lord, you are in control of them both. That you are the one in whom I take refuge. If there has been a call ever right now, it is for us to be refugees underneath his shadow. For us to find refuge. And you think about that. Uh, Tara and I, we work with some families that have, have come from their country and have come here as refugees. And we find out a little bit of some of them, it was over political things that were happening and and people were being literally killed. It was over issues of their faith and they weren't going to be able to practice it safely. They have come for multiple reasons. And you think about why right now we have multiple reasons as to why we need to take refuge in God. Our life depends upon it. And sometimes we feel that that is true and others we think that we don't really need that type of covering. But the Lord is reminding us through this Psalm, take shelter, seek first my kingdom. And then what? All these other things will be added unto you. All these other things will take care of themselves. When you seek first, when you find refuge, when I am your provision, when I am the one that you're dependent upon, when you live and move and have your being in me, all the rest will be taken care of. Look at the birds of the air. Look at the flowers of the field, Jesus would say. They don't labor or toil. And yet not one of them wants for tomorrow because of his provision. And so when we find shelter, what is it that we are promised? We are also promised rest. We find rest. I don't know about you, but how many of you would like to find rest right now in some areas of your life? Whether it's physically, mentally, socially, Facebookly, you would like to find some rest in some areas of your life. You would like our nation to find rest, but we are trying to find rest in so many agendas other than refuge under Him, and it won't happen. It will never happen. Eternal rest only comes from one place, and that is through Christ. He is our rest. He has finished the work that God started on those six days and had to redeem man through the fall. But now we can enter into a rest that we are intended to from the beginning because his work is complete. But the work now we see toiling in our nation, in our world, it has agendas, it has ulterior motives, And it will never lead to peace and to rest because it's not founded in refuge in him and him alone. That is a counterfeit veneer. That is foil and laminates. It is not genuine. And for me, I want to find rest now. And Christ has provided that for us spiritually. And the description of this protection in verse one and two is come, take shelter, find his shadow. Be a refugee and he will be your fortress. Find safety. And then we go into the next two verses and they set the tone from verses one and two for everything that is about to follow this invitation for God's divine protection. And so we see in verse three, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. So how will he protect us? We see first the fowler's snare. I don't know how many of you set bird traps. I've never set one. (laughs) So I don't have a whole lot of context for the fowler snare. Has anyone ever set a bird trap in here before? Anybody ever try to trap a bird? No, I I wasn't sure. (laughs) And so a fowler you think about a trap that would catch something that flies that only periodically will land in your life. And you think about the things that come and go in your life. And the Lord saying, hey, guess what? I'm going to deliver you from these things that you're seeing kind of coming and going in your life. Those traps that are trying to capture you, that are trying to literally freeze you and decapitate and annihilate your ability to fulfill God's plan and purposes, I'm going to eradicate those traps. Those traps will not even be before you. This is what he says here in verses 3 and 4. And then he, he continues on, he says, not only will the, the fowler snare, the, the bird trap, but also from the deadly pestilence. No trap or deceitful dungeon will hold a place for us. And multiple times, the psalmist uses the same kind of language. Psalm 124.7, Kenneth, I think I have it back there. We have escaped like a bird from the fowler snare. The snare has been broken and we have escaped. And so this is salvation, and this is what the the psalmist is leading up to, but he's spelling it out. that salvation of God in our lives, it is not only breaking the power of sin and, and the curse of death, but it is also deliver me from temptation today. The things that are going to be in front of me today, Lord, would you remove those things as well? He is not only breaking the power of sin, but also the traps before us that will lead us down that path. This is salvation. I think sometimes we narrow it down to, it gives me this relationship with the Lord. I'm going to have eternity in heaven. And so now I can skate through, but it is not just the then and there. It is the here and now. We're walking in that already not yet tension that we see so much in the scripture. I have been saved. I will be saved. I am being saved. This is his promises for us. And it's a beautiful thing to see. And the basis for these outcomes of protection, oh, I love this, I love this, I love this. The end of verse four, if you can throw it back up there, verse four, it says, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings, you're going to find refuge. Oh, I love this. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. The basis for these outcomes of protection are all based on one thing, his faithfulness. His faithfulness for you and for me. God can't help but act upon who he is. And as his son and as his daughter, he will show up time and time again fighting for you. On your behalf, he will continue to destroy the fowler stamp. He will continue to destroy the traps before you. He will continue to make sure that the deadly pestilence isn't your eternal damnation. It's not your final story. Now, I'm not, we, I, how many of you have ever been sick before? But that's not what is our ending. Our ending isn't the traps and the diseases of this world or what the enemy may bring about. Or even if we were to walk through some tribulation in this life, I'm not even going to my my views on the tribulation, but walk through tribulations, the Lord is our protector. We take refuge in him. As Joseph gets wind of seven years of famine, he gets a plan and he becomes God's spokesperson to save a nation and the world, the known world around him. The Lord will show his people who are attuned and listening and taking refuge in him right now, the answer to what we're facing. He will destroy the snare and will receive glory through us today if the coronavirus has a vaccine, I believe God can reveal it to us as his people. I believe he's got people embedded in CDC. He's got people that love him that are working at John Hopkins right now on these, on these research and what Pfizer is putting out. I don't know. Maybe that's it. But the Lord will receive glory because he is the one who eradicates the deadly pestilence. If it's not him that is receiving glory, we may see another one until he does because we will have the blood that covers us. We put that on the doorpost of our lives over your children, over my children, and we walk in his protection because it's in him we take refuge. There's nothing to fear. And that's where he's leading us in these verses. I got off track there. I hope that was still good. How many of you recently have heard Psalm 91 referred to as the psalm that people were praying through during this time? You know, when uh, when. Quarantine was first, so NCAA canceled March Madness. It was like March twelfth, thirteenth. It's like the world is sliding off its axis. <laughs> Sports are gone. What do we do? What's happening? Colleges are closing. Schools out for at least a, an extended spring break. Oh, we'll be back in a week or two. But people begin clinging on to scripture as we should, and this was one that I saw time and time again. Psalm ninety-one because it's a Psalm that reminds us of who he is and how his protection, he has us. And that was kind of the the phrase that I felt like the Lord dropped in my heart at the beginning of all this was, he's got you, he's got this, he's got you, he's got this. But in order for him to have you, he's gotta have you. In order for you to find his protection, you've got to find refuge in him. And so for us, we sit here and and we say, Lord, that's what we want. We want to take shelter and find refuge and rest and protection. And moving into verse five through eight, the promises of God, of protection, of solace, it includes protection from the fears that plague so many. I love what he says here. You will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by day, the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. When we dwell in the shelter of the Almighty, there is protection from things that we can see as well as things that we can't see. All of them cripple us alike, but there are things that move into our, our world sometimes that are very unseen, that are spiritual forces, that are fear that try to grip with terror. And and we saw a lot of that the last few months. We've seen a lot of uncertainty and fear. And some of it was just, was very worldly and fleshly, but other parts of it were very demonic and spiritually influenced. Some of it became fueled. The enemy is so glad for us to ride waves in our nation of fear and uncertainty and division and, and backbiting and anger. and hate. The enemy will let us ride these waves all year long at least until the election, right? He'll let us ride these waves as long as we want to because we will never find refuge and rest in him if we're riding those waves. But the Lord has said, hey, guess what? But if you want to have, uh, if, if you want to not have fear of the terror of night, of the things that you can't control nor see, those are the, that's the protection that I provide. That's the sense that I can bring to your soul. It is a rest that can speak to storms be still. And that's what the Lord desires to do in my life and in yours. He says, nor the arrows that fly by day, the enemy that has been using these same things for thousands of years, he has used them to divide kingdoms, to decimate by fear and by plague and by just the anxieties of the uncertainty and the unknowns. But our God provides safety for us from the unseen enemies we face, as well as the ones, the arrows that fly by day, as well as the very visible enemies we can see, the sins that beset, the addictions that destroy, the selfishness and the pride of life that can just eradicate what God wants to do in our relationships, in our life. Both the visible as well as the invisible, the Lord desires to come in and to destroy And there's this math that God uses here in verse seven um, that I don't think you're going to get this kind of math anywhere else. Um, You know, Common Core doesn't really use this kind of math, and they they use a weird math to me. But verse seven, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it's not going to come near you. I don't really teach my kids this kind of math, but this is God's economy when it comes to his protection for our lives. He compares one as to a thousand, one as to 10,000. To him, it is no different. He is going to eradicate our enemies and he's going to do it in full. He says, none will be left. A thousand may fall at your side. And the psalmist is amplifying here for us the greatness, the vastness of God's protection. I'm not just going to protect you on your drive home. I'm going to protect you when you go into the jungles of the Amazon to bring the good news to people who have never heard the name of, 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 of Jesus, of Jesus, right? He's, gonna, he's going to allow us to to trust him at Westtown Mall the same way that he's going to allow me to trust him at, in Western Heights. Because the Lord who is leading us, the Lord who is guiding us, if he is in the middle of that storm and he is saying, come, then I am more protected at the bit of his word than I am in a location. I am more protected and more safe in the center of his will. We got to know his will. In the center of his will than I am anywhere else that appears to be safe. Because a thousand can fall at our side and 10,000 at our right hand. And this reminds me of what Joshua would say in his final address. He's, He's about to go, right? And he gives these words to to his men, his, his burly, brawny men. And he's like, be strong and courageous. Follow the statues of the Lord. Listen and obey. And in Joshua 23, 10, Kenneth, I think I've got it back there. He says, one of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. But this verse is sandwiched between what he is saying to them collectively as a group. There's there's a lot more context to this. So I want you to hear verses nine through 11 because I think sometimes we dumb down the power of God in our lives. He says, the Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. Remind yourself of what he has done that has been amazing, his faithfulness. He says, to this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you, just as he promised. And so verse 11, this is really interesting. So be careful, so be careful, be careful to love the Lord your God. You have a lot of power and authority as a child of God. And you can even use it in a way that is not pleasing to the Lord. There are people that I have seen use their giftings in a way that did not bring God glory. And they pervert and they distort. And God here is saying through Joshua, Be careful that you stay close to the Lord. Be careful that you are continually walking in that love relationship with Him. That everything you're doing is serving Him, is serving others, but is not for self-gain. Because you could go out and start destroying enemies because the Lord your God is with you. You could start eradicating. You could start... And spiritually speaking, we should be doing that, but in a way that serves the Lord and serves others. Not in a way that just decimates people, that speaks the truth but cuts them down, but use what he has given you, the word, the the power of his truth through you that continues to walk in love. Be careful, he says, to love the Lord your God. You have greatness inside you. Don't squander it, don't misuse it, don't abuse it. I believe it is possible. And the psalmist goes on in verse eight. He says, you will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. The reminder for us today is that there is no power in heaven or on earth that is greater than that of Yahweh's. There is, there is no mountain high enough, no valley low enough, right? There is nothing that, cannot, that can compare to the love of God. They can compare to his faithfulness. His faithfulness towards us reminds us that there is nothing on earth that can separate us from his love. There is nothing in heaven or in the heavens above that could separate us from the power of the love of God, the greatest force on earth. In verse nine through 10, the psalmist continues, "'Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is your refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent.'" And he kind of is reminding us again that invitation to his protection. He's saying, come, come and find refuge in me. Now, I I don't have to live very long or talk to very many people to recognize that we walk through difficulty in this life, that there is loss, that there is hardship, that there are things that are out of our control. And we sing a song today that said, what the enemy meant for good I'm going to believe that, that you can turn it around, that you can redeem it, that you can turn all those things. I'm sorry, that what the enemy intended for evil. There we go. What the enemy intended for evil, that you can turn around for my good. And that's, those are the verses of, of Romans eight twenty That is Genesis 50, where, where Joseph is, is kind of saying, hey, brothers, what you tried to do by selling me into slavery, look what God has done. What you intended for evil it doesn't matter if someone has literally done you wrong and you find yourselves in the pit. If God's plan is for you to be in the palace, he's going to get you there. What the enemy has intended for evil. And so the things we walk through, we, we don't understand all the time. We don't have clarity as to where they're leading. We don't, we don't see his redemptive plan from beginning to end, but we can trust that he's in control, that he's sovereign, that his goodness hasn't run out that his mercy is still new. I was driving here this morning and I just felt the Lord was speaking to me as I looked at as I looked at the fog that was beginning to burn away. And I just felt the Lord was even kind of speaking some things to me in my heart over you guys, over people that were gonna be here today, maybe even watching online, that there has been some real heaviness. And you're like, man, I just don't know if I can take one more day of what I've been walking in. And the Lord just put in my heart to remind you that his mercy, his goodness, it is going to be as faithful as that rising sun, and it will burn away what you have been enduring. It will burn away what you have been walking through. You seem it seems like day after day, month after month, maybe year after year. But to hold on to his goodness and his mercy, that is faithful as that rising sun, he is coming. He is coming and his hope is sure. Amen. And as the psalmist writes here that the final word for our eternity and what he declares is for the land of the living. He says, nothing will will be able to harm you. No plague is going to come near your tent. And it reminds me of what Christ has done and what he has purchased for us once and for all. Isaiah 53, 8. He says this, he says, by oppression and judgment, he has taken it away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was punished. The prophet here is speaking of Christ, is speaking of the Savior that would come, that he would literally be cut off from the living presence of God so that you and so that I could be restored, could be redeemed that the punishment that he took upon himself was for the transgression of us, his people that he has now brought and called us his own. He has taken away our punishment and our judgment came upon himself. He was cut off from the living to accept anything less than what he has purchased for us would minimize and diminish and even squander and make useless that work of Christ. Don't allow the enemy to dupe you or to lie to us to say that what God is doing right now isn't really big enough to take care of that too. This has been your mountain time and time again. How can he really see you through this? He is faithful, the psalmist is reminding us, and that is what will be our rear guard and our rampart. That is where our protection is found. It's our shield and our buckler. And do you remember these next words, verses uh, 11 through 13? You'll remember where you heard them. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder and the the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. So these are the words as Jesus is coming out of 40 days of, of fasting and the enemy begins to quote scripture. He didn't really get him the first go round, So he begins to use the word himself and he says, okay, all right. You want to rely on the word of God. Well, how about, how about God saying this about how he would protect you? So why don't you try him and make sure that 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 is true? Is he, is he really going to do what he said he would do? And so in the midst of a Psalm of protection, we have, we have a reminder here of what Jesus used these words in response to him and said, but do not test the Lord, your God. Because here, while he is our protection, it doesn't mean I'm going to run out and uh, ride a motorcycle. I don't know how to drive without a helmet. And well, God's going to take care. We don't walk in foolishness because he is our father. And everything that we walk through, while it may be father filtered and we don't have an understanding for it, it doesn't mean that we throw caution to the wind. Instead, we say, no, but We will not test the Lord, our God, as Jesus said. And yes, he is our protection. He is our refuge. And no matter what may happen, I still take responsibility for walking in wisdom and in in common sense and practicality for what he has given me to use. And so the psalmist continues that in life, the Lord may permit terrible things to happen as he did to Job as he did to his own son, our Lord, but his children know that there is no power outside of God's control, that we can trust our heavenly father, that while we act with the wisdom and responsibility that he's given us, he will deliver us from those troubles. And though Satan may tempt us presumptuously, we can know that the word of the Lord is our rebuke to him. And there's a story I tell my kids, it's really interesting uh, about this verse here. I only have one random experience as a kid where I literally, I wouldn't say, what does he say? His angels concerning you to hold you up and to, to not allow your foot to fall. There was one place as a kid growing up before my parents built their deck, which has now been in existence 20, 25 years. It's an old deck, but we had just a little um, paver walkway that led up to some back steps that were concrete, but there was this little rickety um, wooden half carpet covered step. It, I don't even know why we had it, but it sat there. And it was the first one to get up to the, the, the concrete paver walkway and you would step on it and it would always do this every time. You st- I don't know how my mom carried in groceries every day. That was the way we always went in through the back door and we would step on that. And there was one day as a kid, I remember stepping on that and going for the next step and I was not going forward anymore. I was completely falling back. And I remember even being vertical and then feeling myself do this and come back to my footing. That's the only time I have ever sensed this type of verse in, in, in action for my life. And I tell my kids, I was like, the Lord has us. He protects us. I was just doing something normal every day. I wasn't, I wasn't running. I wasn't skipping up these steps, right? I wasn't really taking a risk. But I remember the Lord protecting me. And what I'm reminded of is that I have a praying mama and I have a good God. I have a God that protects us and that is there for us. And we have one that regardless of what we're walking through, if we feel like life is falling back on us, he will even send his angels to put us back on solid ground and to put us into a firm footing because this is what God has done for us as his children. He protects us. And I'm gonna ask Bruce, if you can come up and just play a little bit as we're wrapping up in these final verses of the Psalm, looking at verses 14 through 16. And this is where the shift happens from the invitation for divine protection, where the the psalmist, we've had words of, of what he is going to do and will do and can do and how he might do it, to now there's this divine oracle that God is now speaking to us. And he says this, he says, because you, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him, the Lord is saying to you this morning. I will protect you because you know my name. And when you call to him, he promises that he's going to answer. He says, I'm going to be with you in trouble and I'm going to rescue you. And he even says this, I'm going to honor you. Let me tell you about that word honor in the Hebrew here. It's the word kabed and it's a derivative from kabad, which is glory, the weight of, of his glory he says i'm going to reveal to you i'm going to honor you and put the weight of who i am in bringing you honor because you have found refuge in me because you know my name and i am the wings that cover you what you are about to feel is not the weight of the terror of night or the the fear of the pestilence that comes by day and those errors that come but it is going to be the weight it is shifting from the weight of this world to the weight of my glory. And I feel this strongly as I was studying that the weight that we have been carrying, he wants to have a divine exchange for. A divine exchange for the weight of his glory that we would find only from shelter in place, in the place of his wings. Remove the mask, the psalmists say, come to me as you are. Find shelter in God Almighty and let the weight of his glory overshadow you. That when someone looks upon what you're walking through and the journey that they know you've gone down, but how do you have rest? How do you have such peace? I don't understand. Because what we have doesn't make sense because we find it in someone other than ourselves, because we trust someone who has created us and knows the end from the beginning that he has all things, that he's got you, that he's got this, that he is faithful and his faithfulness will literally be a shield around us. It will be our ramparts. It will be our buckler. It will be what goes before us and behind us, his faithfulness. And so when we call to him, he promises, these are his words to us that he will rescue and he will honor That's not something I usually think about the Lord doing for me, that he would honor me, that he would put upon me the weight of his glory. And he goes on, I will honor you with long life and satisfy you. Come and drink of the wells that are deep, that will satisfy your soul, that will leave you thirsting no more. He says, and I will show him my salvation. The good news of his salvation is this that what you couldn't do he has already done it is a finished work you don't have to add your own labor to see his salvation we receive it and we take refuge in what he has already done and watch how it's his glory that he bestows upon us the glory of his only begotten son would you pray with me this morning father i thank you so much that you can take anything that's happening in our life right now and in the past six months and in the past six years and the past decades that we've been walking through. And Lord, you can take those. It's not too late. Your arm, I believe, as your word says, is not too short to still show your salvation in every situation, God. And somehow there's been some locusts that have eaten some things and we look back and our life is just a pathway of destruction in so many areas. But God, today, Today, we are trusting your faithfulness to be the one that restores and rescues and redeems as we find shelter in you and in you alone, no longer in the agendas and thoughts of man, no longer in the security of an economic dollar, no longer in the security of even our own ingenuity to just make it happen. But Lord, it is because of our dependence upon you that we have all these things. God, we seek first your kingdom to come in our life and in our world. And in this place, I know there are people that are walking through some, some dark, dark valleys and they're, they're believing, Lord, for you to be faithful to them and that they're not sure what it's going to look like. God, and we're going to stand as a body together. And if that is you in this place and you would say, Michael, I need prayer now and today and this week for what I am walking through to trust God, to take refuge in him, to believe that he can still redeem and he can rescue. If that's where you're at today, I just want to pray with you. Would you raise your hand? Anybody? Yes. Anybody? Yes. Amen. Father, I just agree with your saints in this place, Lord. Those that are taking refuge in you for the hundredth time, those that are taking refuge in you for the first time, those that are finding forgiveness for sins and a relationship for you with you, and those that are seeking God, would you just please, please, please show me the light that is at the end of this tunnel, Lord. And I just pray that your protection, your overshadowing, your wings, your guidance would be our place of dwelling. God, I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would come and breathe in this place. Breathe in this place, Holy Spirit. Strengthen hearts and souls in this place, Lord. Would you begin to speak your divine oracle over each one of us? Begin to speak your words that we hold fast to you in love, that you're going to deliver us that you're going to protect us. We know your name. And we thank you, God, that you know ours and that you're going to answer us and you're going to be with us in times of trouble and that you're going to rescue us. And we thank you for the life that you're giving us through the salvation of your son. We thank you for this glory. May we spread it to the world around us. May they taste and see that you are good. May they taste and see through our lives. We give you honor. We give you glory. It's in your name I pray this morning. Amen and amen.